You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. Today is February 11th, 2024, and this is episode 264 of Lighthearted. My co-host today is Cindy Johnson, award-winning volunteer and secretary for Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. In a few minutes, we'll listen to a conversation about beautiful Point Furman Lighthouse in Southern California. Before we get to that, I just want to clarify something for our listeners. This is the official podcast, as we say at the beginning, official podcast of the U.S. Lighthouse Society, or USLHS, which is based in Washington State. This is the 40th anniversary year of the Society, so everybody should watch for events and podcast episodes related to that. On this podcast, you sometimes hear mentions of the American Lighthouse Foundation, or ALF. People often get the names confused. I hear a lot of uh, kind of combinations of society and association and and, uh, foundation Mm -hmm. and all that. But ALF, American Lighthouse Foundation, and USLHS, U.S. Lighthouse Society, are completely separate organizations. I'm currently the historian for USLHS. I'm a past president of ALF. I'm proud of my association with both organizations. Although most of my attention is focused on my role with USLHS, with this podcast and all the things I'm involved with, I also do continue to volunteer for our local ALF chapter, uh, Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. So I hope that's all clear. Cindy, you've been a volunteer for the local chapter of ALF, Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses, for years, for a number, quite a few years. Yes, I have. And in your role with this podcast, you're also a volunteer for USLHS. So I guess you get to see the best of both worlds. I do. Lighthouse preservation is definitely a group effort. I agree with that. <laughs> I think we're, we're all on the same team, but I just want to make sure people are, are clear of the uh, differentiation there. Uh, obviously, I urge people to donate to the U.S. Lighthouse Society to help support the mission of the Society, which includes preservation grants, the passport program, and of course, this podcast. But as I said, all lighthouse preservation organizations are on the same team and every dollar helps. And every hour of volunteer time that's donated too. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. So let's get right to today's interview. Please help me out, Cindy. Sure, Jeremy. The area in Southern California, known as San Pedro, saw Spanish use dating back to the 1540s. Once a separate township, it's now part of Los Angeles. After the Mexican-American War, San Pedro's harbor was expanded and improved. Congress appropriated funds for a lighthouse at Point Furman, San Pedro's southernmost point, in 1854. The light began service on December 15, 1874. Point Furman had the distinction of having two women as the first uh, keeper and assistant keeper. The light was converted to electricity in 1924. The city of Los Angeles took over the property with a city employee living in the lighthouse as caretaker. The light was darkened after the attack on Pearl Harbor in December 1941, and it was never reactivated as an aid to navigation. The Coast Guard considered demolition in the early 1970s, but concerned local citizens saved the lighthouse. A $2.6 million restoration was carried out in 2002 and 2003, and the lighthouse was open to the public as the centerpiece of 37-acre Point Furman Park. The facility is managed by the Department of Recreation and Parks for the City of Los Angeles. The Point Furman Lighthouse Society serves to assist with fundraising, tours, events, and volunteers. We have two guests today. Kristen Heather is the historic site curator for Point Furman Lighthouse, and Jeanette Rodriguez is a museum guide at the lighthouse. 
I visited Point Firm and Lighthouse in 2015. I loved it during my uh, West Coast travels. Mm -hmm. a really beautiful place. It was a pleasure speaking with Jeanette and Kristen just a few days ago. So let's listen to that conversation now. I'm speaking this afternoon with two guests. We have uh, Kristen Heather, who is the historic site curator for Point Firm and Lighthouse, and also Jeanette Rodriguez, who is a museum guide at the Lighthouse. Heather and Jeanette, thank you so much for being with me today. Hi, good morning. Great to see you. Hi, thank you. Thank you. Coast to coast yep. here. <laughs> yeah, morning out your way, afternoon out my way on That's the East right. Coast. <laughs> so we're meeting in the middle somewhere. Uh, so it's great to have you here. And I just want to mention, before I ask you some questions, I, I was there in 2015. Vis I visited Point Firm and Lighthouse during a West Coast tour I did by myself in 2015. I loved it. It's a really beautiful lighthouse and so well kept. So I have wonderful memories of that visit. And also I wanted to mention that uh, a friend of mine, Heather Porter, who lives in Kentucky, and she and her 11-year-old daughter, daughter, Guinevere, have taken part in the podcast. Heather was out there recently and was given a tour by Jeanette and raved about how great the tour was which led to me, I was, you know, I had you on my list to contact about the, for the podcast anyway, but that prompted me to do it at this time. So uh, on behalf of Heather, thanks for that great tour, Jeanette. Oh, that feels so amazing. Thank you so much for saying that. Thank you. I believe Heather said she was going to twist your arm and make sure you got us uh, on, on your webcast. So. She, she didn't have to twist my arm at all okay. uh, right away when she suggested it. I thought, well, I want to do them anyway. So let's, let's let me move forward on that. So again, thank you. Thank you for doing this. Kristen, let me start with you. Uh, I was reading a little bit of biographical information. I think there was an article that, that gave some of that online. I said you're originally from Sacramento. I'm just curious. Uh, what led you to your position as the historic site curator for Point Furman Lighthouse? Uh, well, uh, it was a little bit of a journey, but not too far from where I started. So yeah, I was born and raised in Sacramento. Uh, so I'm a California girl. I'm just a, a Northern California girl. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. uh, but I've been enough years down here that I think I qualify for SoCal as well. <laughs> I did my undergrad work at Pepperdine. So that's kind of where my first introduction to the Southern California coastline is. And so I graduated with my undergrad there. I actually worked at a small museum up in Yuba City. So then I went back up north and even farther north for a few years called the Sutter County Museum, uh, Community Memorial Museum there. Great little museum if you ever find your way up in Yuba City, a little town of Yuba City. And then I decided to go back to do my graduate work and I ended up at UC Riverside in their historic resources program there, which is now called the Public History Program. And while I was there, I got a little uh, flyer in my grad mailbox, said they were looking for a curator at the lighthouse out here. And uh, I said, well, I, um, I'm running out of money, so I should probably <laughs> apply for that. And maybe I should go out and see it. <laughs> so I took a trip down and saw it. I interviewed out here and uh, luckily got the job. And uh, they were just opening it to the public uh, that, for the first time. And so this was uh, late um, 2003. Okay. So it's been more than 20 years you've been, been working yeah, there. Yes. So just, yeah, I just hit 20 years. <laughs> uh-huh. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Seems like it worked out perfectly for everybody. So uh, Jeanette, uh, what brought you, what led you to become a museum guide at the Lighthouse? Yeah, I was actually very, very lucky. I was uh, looking to work nearby because I live pretty, pretty close. And so I just got lucky to be introduced to Kristen, who's like the best boss ever. And so I'm, I'm lucky to be here, honestly. I love it. Um, it's with the history. And since you've been out here, you know how beautiful it is. So I'm just really, really lucky to be here. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice place to, to work and spend some time for mm -hmm. sure. No doubt about that. So if we could, let's talk a little bit about the history of the lighthouse. First of all, it is, as we've already said, it's one of the, I think it's one of the most beautiful lighthouse buildings in the country. There's a few similar ones, but uh, there's none prettier and you've got the beautiful gardens around it and everything. It's just gorgeous. So as far as the lighthouse building, who designed it? And uh, what is there, what's significant about the architecture? Well, um, we also believe it's one of the most beautiful lighthouses, but we are probably a little more biased maybe than you. <laughs> the lighthouse uh, is situated out here now in a beautiful park, like you said, with the beautiful uh, gardens around it and the park is beautiful, the coastline. Um, but originally out here, it was pretty barren when the lighthouse was first built. So it kind of stood out here by itself. So when you see some of the really early pictures of the lighthouse, it kind of stands out like a sore thumb. It's this beautiful building, you know, and almost don't like a barren landscape yeah. out here. Yeah, <laughs> maybe a little maybe a little of the uh, uh, ice plant, you know, a little cactus out here. It's kind of funny to see cactuses with the lighthouse. But actually, we have several pictures that show both the lighthouse and cactuses. We have the beautiful century plants that still bloom out here with the big, tall uh, spikes. Uh, and so we do, we have a little bit of those uh, out here still in the park and on the mm -hmm. coastline. So you can see those with the lighthouse. Really fun to see those in the old pictures as well as today. But the lighthouse was designed by architect Paul J. Peltz. Mm -hmm. And he was hired by the uh, lighthouse board just before he built us. So like in 71, I think was when he was hired, 1871. And he, in many ways, this lighthouse is uh, you know, really ornate and beautiful, Victorian, early Victorian style. You would call it a stick style as its technical style. But in many ways, uh, Peltz was very practical. So although we have this beautiful uh, Victorian building, it's very practical. You you know, the, the tower is within the building so that you don't have to go outside <laughs> to go from the keeper's quarters to the tower. So we're kind of all built in one that way. So very convenient that way. He actually designed it so two families could live in there. Originally, it had two um, kitchens, one on the first floor and one on the second floor. So almost like two apartments, you know, in the building originally was how it was designed. Now, how it was used was mostly just one family, more traditional, like we would think of a house, you know, where the first floor is more open space and the second floor is bedroom space. That was generally over the years how it was used. But it's interesting that he designed it very practical that way. Yeah. Uh, so actually, there are six sisters. I don't know if you're aware, but there are, on this same design, there were six lighthouses built. So when Peltz designed something, he often used it more than once, but where it was most applicable. So... Um, in certain areas, you'll see his stone buildings or his brick buildings, and we're his wooden. And so we're almost all made of redwood and Douglas fir, the entire, so local materials. Um, and so it's practical here because we get so much wind on this point. And so it uh, uh, the building will move quite a bit. Jeanette, have you experienced that? <laughs> yes, in the tower. Yeah. Yes, it feels, yes. Feel we get that. a lot of wind. The building, yeah. the building will move a little bit. And you'll feel that sway a bit, yeah. just like the trees around us. So, you know, <laughs> but uh, that all wooden lighthouse is uh, a little bit different than some of the stone lighthouses. Peltz, before he came to us, most of the stuff I know about Peltz is actually from uh, Hugh McCauley. I don't know if you've ever met Hugh, but he is an architect who has worked with Hereford Inlet Lighthouse a lot. And um, especially early on when they were opening Hereford to the public. And it's one of our sisters. And so when I was doing a lot of research, especially on the architecture, um, I found a few articles from Hugh and um, I contacted him and he was so gracious and wonderful, invited us out to Hereford Inlet. We went out there, we saw the lighthouse there and he shared all of his uh, research on Paul Peltz 
and uh, his articles on Paul Peltz. And it was a really fun way to learn about our architect, to actually see a duplicate lighthouse like us and to walk through a lighthouse that had felt so similar, but yet um, because we had been, you know, because I had been here searching everything in our lighthouse, it also felt kind of like like um, like another dimension, I guess you could say, you know, because it was like the same lighthouse, but I could see all the little differences. At the mm -hmm. same time, it was so similar. It was also I could pick out all the little tiny differences. But um, it was a great relationship uh, with Hugh and um, the folks there at Hereford Inlet at the time. Uh, Steve was there and um, I'm trying to think of the name right now. I think it was Betty was her name. What wonderful, wonderful folks out there. And I know it's uh, managed differently now than it was then, but it was a great, uh, had a great time out there with them and uh, learning about the architect. So Peltz was actually uh, a designer before he ever entered the U.S. Lighthouse Service. He had worked with another architect, which I can't pull his name out of my head right now, but they submitted designs for the uh, Library of Congress. And so their design is the Library of Congress. So that's probably one of his most famous buildings outside of the lighthouses in the U.S. Wow. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, I just want to point uh, listeners to another source uh, about Paul Peltz, which is P-E-L-Z, by the yes. way. A friend of mine, Josh Liller, who's the historian for the Jupiter Inlet Lighthouse in Florida, He's occasionally written articles both for the U.S. Lighthouse Society magazine, the Keeper's Log, and also for our news blog. And he wrote an article about Paul Pels and his lighthouse designs uh, that's on our news blog. So if people go to news.uslhs.org and do a search for Paul Pels, P-E-L-Z, they'll find that article. So I just had to get in a plug for, for Josh's article, too. Certainly a very important person in, in lighthouse history. So you mentioned uh, a little while ago that the lighthouse was very isolated in its early days. How isolated was it uh, for keepers and their families to live there? Was it difficult for them to get to uh, get supplies and things like that? Well, let's see. In those early days, it, it was very isolated. Now, that changes very quickly because by the 1880s, San Pedro, which is around us, uh, it becomes a town and, and more and more uh, supplies become a little closer. But in the earliest days, their, their mail and um, most of their supplies actually came from Wilmington, which is about a four mile distance because you kind of have to skirt yourself around the port to get to the inside of the port area, which is where Wilmington is at. For us, it's a few minutes, but for them by wagon and there were no, you know, roads. So they were going overland out here. Luckily, they're, you know, uh, it's pretty flat out here. But if you if you if you skirt the coastline, it's pretty flat. And um, but it was still an all day trip. If they were going to go into town, they had to leave early in the morning after they extinguished the light. It was quite a trip to get out there, get their work done and then get back. And uh, it was uh, just enough time probably to get back so you could light that light again at night. You know, so that was quite a trip. So they didn't go out there very often to Wilmington. And then we know from our first two keepers, uh, the other direction they would often go is out toward what we would call Compton today. That was an agricultural growing area. And if they needed fresh supplies, they could go out there. In fact, we have a story of um, Mary Smith um, and her sister Ella their uh, nephew is visiting and they go to go get fresh supplies out in Compton and they buy a big old box of grapes to last them for the week. Unbeknownst to them, Norman has been eating the grapes in the back of the wagon on the trip back. And by the time they get back to the lighthouse, they're almost half gone. <laughs> so uh, he got a little bit of a reprimand, I think, from his, his aunts for doing that. Uh, <laughs> that yeah. was supposed to last a while. <laughs> right. So you just mentioned Mary and Ella Smith. Can you say a bit more about them? Who, who were they? So Mary and Ella were our first two keepers at the lighthouse. Mary was the head keeper and Ella, her sister, was the assistant keeper. 
it's, it's actually quite unusual that they were chosen for the lighthouse down here. It's very rare that women would be chosen to be the first keepers of a lighthouse. Now, there's lots of women in the service, and uh, especially our listeners um, who love lighthouses will know. Uh, coast to coast, we have a lot of stories about women. Um, most often, though, women took over after their husbands uh, passed away or had an accident or they assisted their husbands. You know, a lot of women just were the, the assistant keepers in most cases. So, you know, exactly how they got chosen for that position, I think, has more to do with their brother than anything else, you know. Um, but also, like I said, L.A. was very isolated. Uh, uh, one of our volunteers loves to talk about the population number in 1874. So the population of L.A. in 1874 was a thousand people. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> it really was uh, not a populous area down here, you know, yeah. and the biggest trade at the time was probably the tallow trade and things like that, you know, in the area, uh, lumber, you know, that kind of stuff going out of the port. They were actually experienced keepers. Their father was the uh, keeper at, and I, I always pronounce it wrong, I know, Eda's or Eads Hook up at uh, Port Angeles, Washington. So their father, uh, when he retired. Mary actually was the head keeper there for a few years before she was chosen to come down here. So she wasn't unexperienced. She was an experienced head keeper. But there was a lot of controversy up there in uh, Port Angeles with her brother, who was the uh, customs uh, officer up there and uh, and was basically in charge of all the territory up there uh, for the federal government. So I think they probably wanted to get out of there. And so it was probably opportune for them to come down to Point Furman. We don't have the whole story of exactly why they were chosen to come down here, but uh, we can surmise from other things that we know about uh, their brother and uh, uh, some of the situations that way. Um, but once they got here, we often will find in some of the old books, uh, if you read it, that it was a lonely, you know, the poor sisters were very lonely out here at the lighthouse. But you know, they stayed here for eight years. So, I, you know, they must have liked it. <laughs> they must have liked working out here for eight years before moving on. Jeanette, when you give tours, you must talk about Mary and Ella a lot. I imagine in the tours. Is that one of the main features of tours? Talking yes, about that? definitely. Yeah, I, I love um, the history with uh, Mary and Ella just because it's very like uh, female oriented here. So I love talking about them. Um, they, I mean, they are like our most special, one of our most special uh, people that lived here because they are the first ones. Uh, they were two sisters. Very impressive that they were here. Um, yeah, they're definitely one of my favorite. Yeah, yeah. people must uh, ask a lot of questions about them, too. I think there was another later woman keeper. Is that correct? Yeah, that's the fun story about, you know, uh, Point Furman is, is that we always talk about our first two sisters out here. And then by the time we get through the rest of the history of the lighthouse, um, our last family was a family with um, eight children at the lighthouse, mm-hmm. two girls and the rest were boys. And come toward the end in um, 1925, both the Will and Martha Austin, who are the keepers at the time, both passed away within three months of each other. And so to take over was the two girls actually took over operation of the lighthouse for just a couple more years before it was handed over to the city of L.A. And so it's always a fun thing that after we say that, we said, so remember, we started with two sisters and we ended with two sisters. Yeah. So it's kind of a, a fun way to remind people that, you know, that that uh, history of our, our sisters out here at the lighthouse. And as you said, it was really unusual for uh, women to get the outright appointment as the as Mary Smith did to be a keeper rather than being a wife or, or daughter of a keeper. Out here in New England, there are some famous there were some famous women keepers who were daughters of lighthouse keepers, Ida Lewis and Abby Burgess and and Kate Moore. Uh 
three of the most famous all daughters of lighthouse keepers and started taking care of the lights when they're like 12 years old and later became the keepers. So there's a lot of great stories like that. So uh, another thing I was reading about Mary Smith uh, is something about some friction of some kind when a man was hired to be her assistant. Either of you want to tell me about that? Yeah, this is um, this is really a great story. And this was kind of unknown until we did some deep digging into the uh, National Archives. A lot of people had seen the original logbooks from our um, lighthouse, but nobody had seen the original correspondence between Mary Smith and the, um, the lighthouse board. And so when we found those, we I had I had shared some of those with one of my volunteers who was a great writer. And so between the two of us, we wrote an article about it. You can read it in the um, U.S. Lighthouse Society's log. I want to say 2011, I think, is when we did that. Somewhere around there. I'll, I, I would have to. But you, you can go on their site, the U.S. Lighthouse Society's website. And it is on there under their featured articles. So yeah. if you want to look that up. Um, it, it told us a story that we just would never have expected to find out at a lighthouse. The letters were hurriedly written, and so the handwriting was not the best. And so I'd seen Mary's handwriting from the logbooks, very neat, you know, very nice and perfect. But these letters were very, um, uh, almost scrawled out, you know, in a very quick fashion. And so the more I got into trying to interpret these letters, which is not always easy if you've seen old letters that are uh, on old paper, and, and and some of them were damaged because if uh, many people know that are the U.S. Lighthouse Society, I mean, the U.S. Lighthouse uh establishments, uh, archives and uh, stuff were burned at one point. Um, and so a lot of them were missing. So a lot of the letters actually had burned edges and like, you know, certain sentences were cut off. So interpreting those letters was quite fun, but it really stuck out to me when I finally got one of the letters up and Mary says, what, what am I supposed to think about uh, Mr. Harold, who is this second assistant, when her sister leaves, Mr. Harold is hired for the assistant position. She goes, what am I to think when Mr. Harold says I might be murdered in my sleep. Oh. And, you know, it took me, the word murdered was scrawled so funnily that, and, you know, not the word I expected to see in the letter, that it, it took me quite some time to figure out what that word was. And I was like, what's she talking here? I, I you know, I stressed over it. I blew it up. You know how you take it and you kind of look at it in a different way, you know, um, on the computer. And I, I played with the brightness and I played all kinds of stuff. And I finally realized that that's murdered. She's what in the world have I gotten my hands into when I, when I saw that letter? Um, so, but I went through and I uh, was able to translate all the letters. And in the end, also the inspector gives his opinion of what's going on out here. And it appears that Mr. Harold and his wife thought that if they wreaked enough havoc, they could remove Mary from the position and then he would get to take over as head keeper. So that appears to be what is uh, going on out here. So there's lots of stories about um, complaints that Mr. Harold actually officially writes to the the board and um, she has to answer those complaints and she's written three or four letters before she realizes that she has to answer these complaints officially because Mr. Harold has gone into Wilmington and actually had someone write them out and authenticate them you know kind of like we would do today with your you know what do you call that when somebody comes and and uh, authenticates your papers for your house you know you uh um, you call that when you notary. I can't think of the name. It's not notary, like notary. a notary. Exactly, <laughs> like a notary. That's the word I'm looking for. No. Thanks to that. But like a notary. He actually has had somebody notarize the paperwork and sent it back. And so she realizes that he has done this when she finally gets, you know, something from back from the lighthouse service. So she has to go to Wilmington and write out her answers to all this and have it notarized and sent, you know. But it's it's the it's quite crazy reading through all the letters. In the end, they both get fired. Is, is the final, or they both get dismissed, you know, from the service. And if you read the inspector's letter, 
He knows that it's Mr. Harold and his wife who has created this havoc and that Mary has done nothing wrong. I think he he finally says, well, technically she shouldn't have sold the coal that she sold without permission from the government, but she had gotten permission once before to do that because they gave her too much soft coal and she needed hard coal. So there's all this really detail in these letters. Uh, but he really can't find anything wrong with what Mary has done. However, he does say, if we keep Mary and we replace the assistant keeper with another male assistant keeper, we're going to have the same problem all over again. <laughs> this is oh, going to start again. So I think they realized it just, you know, at that time, by the time the 1880s came around, it was a different world, I think. It, and we weren't so isolated out here at the point. And um, they just realized that, you know what, it would be just, and he concludes his letter, the inspector does with, you know, it'd be just better if we could just get a couple out here. And then we basically get the wife's services for free, you know, <laughs> and uh, we don't have to really pay one couple and it'd be much easier, much more economical and everything would go much better. So, um, and that's what the board does. So they're both dismissed. And that's when we get Captain Shaw to come out here with his wife and uh, mm-hmm. um, it starts a different era of the lighthouse. Yeah. It's a shame that Mary paid the penalty for for that. That wasn't her fault at all. That's product of the times, I guess. Yeah. Although that's uh, around the same time, you know, 1869, is when Ida Lewis in Newport, Rhode Island, became probably the most famous lighthouse keeper in the country yeah. and most highest paid lighthouse keeper in the country as a woman. But. Well, that's yeah, that's another fun fact we like to tell people out here too. Is when Mary was hired, she got a thousand dollars a year because they were on the West Coast and they had bumped up the salaries about $200 more than everybody else on the East Coast because mm-hmm. of the difficulty with supplies coming in and the expense of the supplies. So it wasn't until about, I think, 1880 that they dropped her salary back down to what would have been the standard for uh, keepers around the country. Uh, mm-hmm. So she actually got paid more than a lot of men in the service <laughs> when she first was hired. Uh, before we move on to later history, I'm wondering if there's anything else either of you would like to add about the the human history of the place. For me, I really, I really enjoy uh, Captain Shaw's uh, story as well. He seems like he was such a fun guy. Um, he was a Civil War veteran, and so by the time he got here, uh, he was, uh, he was just seemed to be like so full of life, even though with all the experience he had um, before coming over. So I really like his story. Uh, there's a little snippet we have about him throwing his daughter. She was turning eight years old, a uh, birthday party, and he had like 200 guests uh, come over. So uh, especially considering how difficult it was to just come out here, he must have been like such an amazing guy to want to throw such an amazing uh, party and for people to want to come and uh, all the way out here to Point Furman. Yeah, we understand he hired like a little horse-drawn carriage to pick people up from the train that uh, drove into the harbor and bring them out to the point. Wow. She must have been a popular eight-year-old kid. (laughs) So why don't we move? Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of stories of keepers and stuff we could talk about, but let's move forward a little bit to the World War II era, which was a very important era in the history of that lighthouse. Uh, either of you want to tell me a bit about that? Well, I think kind of before we talk about World War II, we do have to talk about kind of the the transition from the lighthouse service to the park service, because in 1925, the park is built around the lighthouse, and then by 27, an agreement is struck between the lighthouse service and the city of L.A. at the time. The city then rents all the government property on the point, and it becomes part of the park, and so they kind of build the park around the lighthouse. By 27, our last keepers, who were the Austins, the sisters leave in 27, 
Ben, a park service attendant, comes and uh, lives in the lighthouse and upkeeps the park, basically. So it's kind of a different era then. And we have about, I think, three different service attendants before we hit World War II. When World War II, or actually December 7th, uh, 1941 happens, Oscar Johnson is uh, one of our park attendants who's in the lighthouse. And interestingly enough, people don't realize the time change. And so here it was like about 1030 in the morning when Pearl Harbor hit. And Oscar Johnson had taken his family to Long Beach to picnic that day. When he hears the story in Long Beach that that Pearl Harbor has been hit, he realizes, I got to I gotta head back immediately to the lighthouse. And by the time he gets back over the harbor and toward the lighthouse, uh, the military has already taken over the point. They're already out here and they've told him, get your stuff, get, get out of the lighthouse. The military is taking over the house. Wow. So um, we that's one of our things is, you know, the last day the light was officially lit was December 7th, 1941, because it was still lit that morning, you know, before he extinguished it. So that's the last day our light was lit, was the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And then um, the war, the the property was taken over um, by the Navy and the military, because we had Fort MacArthur, uh, the upper reservation right on the hill above us. And so they used us sort of as temporary housing during the war, and they moved people, they had big tents out here in the park, and they moved uh, military men through, you know, to get um, overseas. We don't have, we have very few pictures from that time period because uh, all that was off limits, you know, to everybody. So very few pictures of the park during that time. I think we found one picture of the lighthouse that shows it. And it's a very, it's a black and white, but it, the, the lighthouse looked very monochromatic because it's our understanding that they painted the whole thing green, army green. So it would just kind of match in with the coastline. And then uh, after the war, by the time the war ended, technology had advanced so much that instead of putting a light at the top of the tower again and, and, and restoring the Fresnel lens at the top, they just put an automated beacon out on the point, you know, that was uh, just on a pole, you know, out front. So the light was never lit in the tower again. So mm-hmm. we even say that today. There's still a light at Point Furman. It's just not in the old lighthouse anymore. <laughs> so there's still a light on the point out here. Correct me if I'm wrong. Were, were all or was it most or all of the lights on the West Coast were turned off during the war? For fear, out of fear for enemy attack? I think it was a call for the entire coastline, but I can't be sure about that. You know, mm-hmm. I think they called for all the lights to be blacked out during the war. Um, yeah. Yeah. Same so, thing. you know, yeah. and I always tell people, I mean, you know, the whole reason you don't want to be a beacon to enemy ships. You know, if, if they got to Pearl Harbor, who knew, you know, where they were planning on attacking next? And so I think that uh, general unknown was what caused a complete blackout of the of the uh, coastline out here, just to make sure that we weren't, you know, guiding ships, yeah. <laughs> the wrong ships yep. into harbor. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was exactly the same here on the East Coast. The lights were all turned off because of fear of uh, German attack on the West Coast. It was more Japanese, but right. um, same sort of thing on both coasts for a while there. So after the light was discontinued, after the war, uh, I think uh, quite a bit after the war, the building kind of fell into disrepair, right? And was it actually, uh, was there some consideration to destroying it? Luckily, it didn't fall into too much disrepair. It, it had somebody living in it. And you know, you know, anybody here who knows old houses, the worst fate for an old house is to no longer be living in it. So yep. if somebody's living in it, then they're making sure at least the leaks are fixed and, the, you know, <laughs> things are still up and, and running and clean. You know, you don't get that uh, uh, that problem of an abandoned house. So the house was never abandoned. It was always lived in. So it wasn't really in that bad of disrepair. 
but you know politicians you know so they get ideas in their head and and the idea was to take it out and have the whole park they were thinking more of park space than uh of thinking of historic buildings that time and uh those of you out there who are uh have studied uh, historic preservation know that the 1970s was really when historic preservation had its you know its real run and and people start uh, developing societies and groups to help save all the old buildings and so our local group it, it even works with us still today came out of that era and they called themselves the point from a lighthouse association at that time um, and some of those members stayed with us i met some of those members who were originally here in the 1970s to help save the building when they actually did um, call for its destruction in the 70s mm -hmm. and uh, one of our most gregarious members of the community um, who uh, just was a great generous man uh, Mr. John Olguin, and you can actually read his book. There's a book about John and his uh, his life here in, in San Pedro. He probably arrived when he was about three years old here and uh, just kind of um, fell in love with his town at a very early age. Uh, so much so that when he was helped as a young boy all those years, it made him feel responsible for doing the same when he grew up. And he was just this wonderful patron of the community. And all of our museums here are, are here because of him. And so, you know, not only do we have the lighthouse, we have um, a small house museum here called the Muller House. We have the aquarium here on the point, the Cabrillo Marine Aquarium. He started that. We have the Maritime Museum. If you've been to the Maritime Museum, it has the the Angel's Gate lens there. So if you want to see the Angel's Gate lens, that's where you would see it at the Maritime Museum. And these were all because of John, you know, so he really uh, was this great person who uh, was able to raise those funds and get everything up and running and started. So I did not make it to the Los Angeles Maritime Museum when I was there, which was one of the reasons I got to get back. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. And yeah. a great time to come back would be this summer, July 13th. We are going to do the first ever Los Angeles Lighthouse Challenge. Wow. <laughs> so it's going to be a one day event at all three lighthouses. You'll be able to visit all three lighthouses here, which is us, Angel's Gate and Point Vicente. Now, Angel's Gate is out on the breakwater, so you won't be able to actually go up to it. But you have a choice to see it from land or we do have some small um, boats that cruise the harbor and you can take a harbor cruise and get a little closer to it. Mm -hmm. So and the Maritime Museum has the lens, so they'll be holding the stamp. And um, oh, actually the stamp for them will be the lens. The stamp for um, Angel's Gate will be at the aquarium because it's right there at uh, where you go out to see the light. And then Point Vicente, I've talked to them out there. They're going to have the grounds open uh, all day. And then there's a, a little interpretive center right next to it that holds the old lens. So mm -hmm. then you'll, you'll, that day, everything will be open and you'll be able to run around and get your stamps. And if you collect everything, um, we're going to come up with a great souvenir you can take home for uh, collecting all stamps. So we know yeah. that the East Coast does this all the time and they have a lot more lighthouses than we do. Ours are spread out. So, but we thought we'd start with a little uh, Los Angeles lighthouse challenge. So uh, I hope you don't mind. I put a little plug in for that. So that's- Not at all. I, I love it. July, I wish I could. Uh, July 13th. And it is in honor of our 150th year here at Point Vermont. Yeah. I want to talk more about that in a few minutes. I wish I could get out there this summer. And by the way, July 13th is my birthday. So that would be perfect. Hey, I wish oh, I could be there that day, but it, I don't think it's going to work out. I've got a lot of other plans this, this summer, but uh, hopefully I'll get back there in the not too distant future. But anyway, I'm glad you brought that up. I wasn't aware of that event. That's that's great. I congratulate you on, on pulling all that together. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. It's my understanding the lighthouse is owned by the city of Los Angeles, right? Owned and managed, basically, and but staffed 
by the by the Point Firm and Lighthouse Society. What are some of the things the society does in addition to kind of uh, giving tours of the lighthouse? And the kind of a second part to that question is: Are there does everybody who visits there get a guided tour, or how does that work? Yeah, so so both the city and the society work together. So you're right. Technically, we're owned, and I. I know you said City of Los Angeles, and for most of you out there, that would be enough to say City of Los Angeles. Technically, we're owned by Recreation and Parks, mm-hmm. City of Los Angeles. It's the only division of city who's allowed to own property outside of the city itself. Okay. And that's because most of the lands get granted to Recreation and Parks, like ours came through uh, the Preservation Grant. Uh, the National Historic Lighthouse Preservation Act. That's it. Preservation yep. Act of 2000. That's what I was trying to say. The Preservation Act of 2000. So our our grant came through that. And so because of that, all these grants have specialized uh, conditions that come with them, you know. And so Reckon Parks owns property separate so they can make sure they have their own real estate office. They can make sure all those conditions are properly met with the uh, different grants that they get for land for the public. So we're actually owned by Department of Recreation and Parks, City of Los Angeles. They um, pay for me. So I'm the only full-time staff out here, the historic site curator. And by default, that makes me the director. (laughs) <laughs> and then um, I have a few part-timers like Jeanette. Jeanette's one of our part-time museum guides. And they do the day-to-day, sort of help me out here with the day-to-day operations, open, close. And if our volunteers are unable to attend that day and help do our tours, then they kind of are my backup system. So they all know how to give tours and are great guides themselves. But um, generally, the society is the one who gives our tours to the public when they come. So every day we have a one, two and three o'clock tour available. And we have one or two guides that will come from the society a day and they will give the tours. And it's, it's, it's a great way to do it because they are from our community here and they're here because they love the lighthouse. So what better way to get a tour than by a local person who loves the lighthouse enough to come and give their time to the lighthouse? And each of our tour guides gives a little bit different tour because each of them loves something different about the lighthouse. Sure. (laughs) So some people love the architecture. Some people love the family history. Some people love the, you know, you can just pick out so many different pieces of our history um, that they love. And so um, they get excited when they talk about the things they love about. So we've always told them, although we have a general uh, tour plan, our each of our tour guides gets to pick out the things they love the most and talk about those on their tour. So when you come back, if you get a different tour guide, you get a different tour. Yeah, you know, it's always the case. You want there's certain points you want to touch on, but everybody kind of, as, as you said, kind of develops their own style and and, uh, and the stuff that they they stress the most. So Jeanette, in your tours, it sounds like you talk mostly about the Smith sisters and also uh, Keeper Shaw. Is that is that right? Uh, yes, I do love the history of the people that actually lived here. I mm-hmm. love that that we um, can remind people that this was a, a place where people actually uh, worked and lived here. And um, sometimes we forget that you know, because we see it as a historic site, it's, it's a beautiful building in the park. But I love to emphasize the human side of this, that there were real lives, real people here. So I, I love talking about the families that, that were actually here and worked here as lighthouse keepers. Yeah. It, it brings the history alive. Yeah, Absolutely. Part of it, you know, makes the, the building um, such a, a personal part of uh, the uh, community here. So, yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with both of you. It's always the the human history that brings these places to life, as you said. You were talking about um, our society and the things that they contribute. And tour guides are just one of the things they do. 
We um, we have a wonderful group and they take care of things like our events. When we have events, you know, we can't run them with, <laughs> without all the hands. And so they help run, uh, be all the hands during one of our, you know, during our events that we have out here. They also help take care of the gardens. Most of our beautiful gardens that you've seen around here, they're all done by volunteer work, you know. In mm -hmm. fact, um, they just finished uh, trimming all of our roses out here. I think uh, we have almost more than 100 roses out here now at the lighthouse. Um, and they've uh, fertilized them for the winter so that they will be beautiful again in spring. Yeah. And uh, they help us dust in the lighthouse and kind of keep everything, you know, nice. Of, and, you know, we have all the artifacts in there, so they have to be really careful when they dust. And uh, all the furnishing needs to get um, oiled every now and again, you know, because of the uh, constant expanding and contracting out here. We go from really cold at night to really warm in the afternoon when that sun comes out. So all of our wood out here gets a real workout. It's a constant um, contraction and expansion of the wood of the lighthouse as well as all the artifacts inside. So we have to keep yeah. uh, an eye on those things. Yes. So speaking of the the wood of the lighthouse, it obviously has to be repainted now and then. Is that something you bring a contractor in for or how does how does that, that work? You know, in the past, we have brought a contractor in to do that. Rickon Parks has their... Um, some of their workforces are pretty skinny and they're they're just busy enough taking care of repairs in the city of LA and so to get a crew out here to paint this is quite a job and so generally they will contract that out and have a contractor come out and paint the building for us and, and it happens about every seven years we get it done usually mm -hmm. I try to I start bugging them about five years in that it needs to get done so that by the seventh year it actually gets done <laughs> it takes a little while to get some things moving in the, the city um, but this year we just were painted for the to get ready for the 150th and um, due to some budget issues, they decided that the city painters would come out and do it. And so they spent some time out here getting us uh, um, painted. And so they did a great job. And we look really nice again for the 150th. And so all the pictures that will be taken this year will look really nice. Well, it looked really beautiful when I was there in 2015. I got some nice, nice pictures that day. It looked like it had just been painted. I don't know if it had been, but it looked like I it think had. it might have. That's might have been the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looked it looked pristine. So uh, obviously, as you've talked about already, everybody who visits the lighthouse gets to climb the tower, right? Uh, what else is there for people to see in the building? So we actually take you on a tour within all the all the the uh, floors of the house. So in the first floor you see the front parlor the kitchen the back parlor and our lens i feel like that is one of the most impressive things that we have on the first floor you see the lens uh, the last lens that was used here which is our fourth order for now lens and then on the second floor you see our our master bedroom that was originally a second floor kitchen and then um and then you see um our our keeper's um, office, which is where we have the history of the lighthouse keepers. And I really love that room because of that, because we can actually see pictures of the lighthouse keepers there. And then we have uh, a last um, bedroom there. It has a, a rope bed, which is one of my favorite things uh, in the second floor as well. And then you go all the way up to the tower, up to the lantern room. So you go uh, three floors in the tower. Great. Yeah. So there's a lot to see there. So, and this question is for either or both of you. When people visit there and show them around, uh, is there something uh, you have in mind? Some, what do you hope they gain from the experience? What do you hope they come away with when they when they visit? For me, um, whenever I, I give a tour, I hope that they come out with a, a little bit more of like um, 
understanding of what life was like back in um in in the 18 in 1874 uh, to the early 1900s just just to have that respect i think for for that time period um i hope they learned something new about us about this uh area as well and yeah that, i think that that's what i hope the most for for people is is to just get a little glimpse of of history here yeah well that's great uh kristen anything to add to that well, for me, there are, there are a lot of things you can take away from the lighthouse, and and I think Jeanette is right that we definitely want that human part of it. But in on my end, as as the curator and the director, my main goal is that when you leave this lighthouse, that it's not San Pedro's lighthouse, it's not my lighthouse, it's now your lighthouse. For the kids, we have little stickers that says "I'm a keeper." So by the time you come and enjoy the lighthouse, we want you to be now the keeper of the lighthouse. Mm -hmm. And that's our tradition, you know, that you're now supposed to help us take care of the lighthouse because now you know it's here and we've given you the history and now you fell in love with it. So um, and that's the idea is we want it to be everybody's lighthouse, not just San Pedro's lighthouse, not just my lighthouse, not the society's lighthouse. It's it's everybody's lighthouse. And so if you if we can get more people to come away with that in L.A. especially, then we know that it will be taken care of all of its years to come. That's perfect. I love that. You've maybe partly kind of answered this already, but what do you think the lighthouse means to the area, to San Pedro and the whole whole region there? Well, that, that's a hard question to answer because I think it means something different to everyone. You know, I think mm -hmm. it, it, it depends on, uh, I guess, maybe when you first saw the lighthouse, you know, and how you connected with it at the beginning. Because we have people who were raised here in San Pedro. And so the lighthouse is a fixture for them. It is Pedro. You know, it's part of its history. And so those people who were born and raised here, it is their lighthouse, you know, uh, they feel a great ownership of it. And so and we're very happy that that is the case, because it is is so much easier to talk about it when the community agrees with the, its preservation and, and its continuation. Uh, but then we have those people who are not from here and they come out and those people have a different um, idea of the lighthouse. And it kind of just depends on, you know, why they came. Some are coming directly to see the lighthouse like you did, you know, and, and, and they're lighthouse lovers. And so we have that group of lighthouse lovers who have a different relationship with our lighthouse because they see it as it, as it relates to all the other lighthouses in the United States, you know, and they see its uniqueness as well as its connection to all the other lighthouses and to that navigational, you know, history. And, and then we have people who, who stumble upon us, believe it or not. Because the one nice thing about being in Los Angeles is we, you know, even though, you know, the lighthouse originally was very isolated, it's not isolated now. And we have people who stumble upon us and they look up and they go, what's that? You know, <laughs> so we're like, we have to explain to them. It's a lighthouse. It's a what? You know, <laughs> so we get a lot of that, too. And, and, and no, it's a real lighthouse, you know, and, and, and uh, sometimes they, they say, oh, you mean a church, you know, and, and so we kind of um, have to really kind of orient them as to we're a lighthouse and we still stand, you know, and we're uh, although we are no longer that navigational beacon, we have that history of uh, guiding ships into the L.A. Harbor, uh, the San Pedro Bay. And uh, so sometimes it's just a complete introduction to people of what a lighthouse is, you know, and that's a wonderful thing, too, to kind of really bring people into that maritime history that maybe they've never even touched. Mm -hmm. And to do it with a beautiful building that gets their attention, it's a nice way to do it. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if part of that is uh, people, I think, uh, have a certain kind of stereotyped idea of what a lighthouse looks like in their mind. Yeah. They picture a tall white tower on a yeah. cliff or something like that. Uh, and you've got some lighthouses in your region that fit that description, but 
uh, Point Furman is not one of those. And so, again, it's one of the most beautiful lighthouse buildings, but not necessarily what, what people think of as a traditional lighthouse. Correct. Which is great. They're all different, you know. They're, yeah, it's, it's fun. Some of the questions we get are really fun because I think they're questions that most lighthouses wouldn't get because we're in Los Angeles. So one of the questions we always get is, is what's what's it worth? Because property here is everything, you know, in LA. Location, 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 <laughs> right? Yeah. And so we'll get, well, what's it worth? You know, well, we don't have a value on it. I couldn't even imagine to try and put a value on a building like this sitting on a cliff, you know, in, in California. Um, but that's a question that we get asked a lot. And the other one that drives me crazy is how many square feet is it? <laughs> like how many people go to your lighthouses on the East Coast and ask how many square feet is in the lighthouse? It's just one Nobody. of those things that's an LA mindset, I guess. It's a really funny thing. And so we get some funny questions like that out here. Um, yeah. And uh, it's just so that, you know, their relationship to the lighthouse is completely different than, you know, most people's relationship to the lighthouse. Mm -hmm. they, they, they see it as a, a building, you know, as a, as a property, you know, yeah. so it's kind of funny. So, you know, our, our, our hope is to change some of those um, early impressions and make them love the lighthouse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what do, we, do either of you ever get asked if you're the lighthouse keeper? Uh, yes, um, especially I, I love getting asked this by kids. It's like, do you live here? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I partly live here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love that question, actually. Well, it's your home away from home. Our gardeners get asked that probably more than anything because they're out gardening. And do you live here? Oh, you know? yes. And so our gardeners are some of our best um, like promo people because they're like, then, they, you know, they introduce people who have no idea what we are. And they introduce, mm -hmm. no, it's a lighthouse. You can come visit. I can come visit. You can climb the tower. I can come climb the tower. You know, and so we get these <laughs> really excited response. I can do that, you know, um, to people who don't realize that they can uh, come and, and enjoy the site. Yeah. So you mentioned the Lighthouse Challenge coming up in July, and this, again, is the 150th anniversary of the first lighting of the Lighthouse. It'll be December, uh, to be exact. What was the date in December? So the uh, first date was lit December 15th, 1874. Yeah. So December 15th, 2024 will be our 150th final turn of 150. But, yeah. you know, if you're from certain traditions, your 150th year is actually the year before you turn 150. So we have decided that we're going to celebrate all year because it's our 150th year. And we'll go ahead and extend it into next year, too, because we'll be one. Sure. So we're just going to push it to uh, both ends of it as far as we can. So yeah. we're actually starting. We have a little small event uh, in the wintertime. We don't have too many events because it can get the weather out here. It can get crazy. And we we, we do everything outside here. Um, so we're going to have a small event on the 10th, Love at the Lighthouse. So the idea is to come share your love of the lighthouse. Just like you said, everybody's relationship is different with the lighthouse. What do you love? about the lighthouse and it's just going to be a small heritage event an open house day um so it kind of starts us off but we're going to have uh, quite a few events as we go on some of our biggest events are tea by the sea where you get to come and enjoy our gardens and sit outside and really enjoy the spring and all the flowers and bloom and have uh, we have a little free tea for everybody out here and and sometimes that has gotten pretty big so we'll see we'll see with all the advertisement we get this year how many people we get out here but um we try to serve everybody tea so we do our best Mm -hmm. And then uh, we'll have our Lighthouse Challenge in July. Uh, and then in August, we're going to do our official big birthday celebration, August 17th. And that's just, again, because of the weather. We decided this year if we're going to have a big uh, outside event, it's just better to do it a little bit earlier in the year. So we're going to do it at the end of summer, August 17th. will be our big 150th birthday celebration. Everybody's invited to the birthday party. We're not excluding anybody. <laughs> so as many people can come and we'll take up a big portion of the park here with a bunch of different things going on <laughs> and uh, talk about its history. And we'll try and get as many people through the tower at the, as we can that day. But we want everybody to remember that, you know, we're open every day but Monday. So you can come climb the tower any day if you can't get through that day. 
And then our last event, we still haven't quite gotten it all together, but that December, in December, we would like to do a fun event, and we're currently calling it um, Lighthouse Festival. Uh, light, oh no, uh, the Festival of Lights, that's what it is. <laughs> um, but it, that title might change. And so we want to light up the lighthouse with, with lights, but we want to do it not Christmassy, but specifically designed to our lighthouse, something special. So we haven't quite gotten there with the whole plan, but keep uh, listening for us. And the closer we get to it, we'll give more information about that. But we'd like to have it um, all of December so that you could come several different days to do it and not just on one day. Great. Well, uh, keep me informed. Uh, do a, We will do what we can, the U.S. Lighthouse Society, to help promote your events. You. So I have one final question for both of you. Okay. You can fight with each other to see who takes it first. And this is for bonus points, of course. Okay. And that question is, uh, what do you love most about Point Firm and Lighthouse and the work you do there? Honestly, I just feel very, very lucky to, to work here. Um, anytime when I drive up here, um, and you hit the hill and you can see the park and the ocean and Catalina Islands right behind. It's you just feel so lucky. And every day looks very different, even though it's the same. It's the same ocean, the same islands, the same park. It looks beautiful and different every single day. And then, of course, working here at a lighthouse. I love it when people ask me like, oh, what you know, what do you do for work? And I'm like, oh, I'm a museum guide at a Point Fermi Lighthouse. And they're like, lighthouse? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I work at a lighthouse. So that's always like one of the coolest things that I get to I get to tell people that, you know, I get to work here. Um, and it's it's just amazing. I feel very, very lucky. Yes. Yeah. So Kristen, you want to take that question? What do you love most? You know, I, I do have to echo Jeanette. I mean, it is, it is true when you, when you drive over, because there's a little hill you have to drive over before you see the lighthouse. And it just sort of is like this wonderful view just pops out in front of you. And you can actually see uh, the lighthouse is filled with, I mean, the park is filled with trees. And so what you actually see is you only see the tower sticking up through the trees. <laughs> and then as you come down in you into the park, you get to see the rest of it, but it is, um, Depending on the day, you'll get these beautiful, clear days. Some days it's cloudy. Some days it's windy. Some day, but every day it's beautiful. I don't think I've ever come out here and didn't think it was just the most beautiful day, yeah. you know. And it's different. You know, like you say, you get the sunny, beautiful days, but then you get the foggy days that are just really fun to see out here. And it, it's hard not to love being out here every day and um, seeing all the different uh, ways to see the lighthouse. Um, you know, as for me, what, what's my favorite part? It's really hard to answer what your favorite part is. The other thing about working here is also uh, the community. So the volunteers that come over, my boss is the greatest and my coworkers. And we, we're all just like a nice little work family. Uh, we all love it here. That's why we're here. And so that's always what makes, um, you know, a very beautiful place even even better and i wouldn't want to switch that um anytime yeah, yeah. well as you said yeah. earlier that it's the people that make these places special both historically and in the present day as well oh of course you know I, you know i i grew up my my mother taught me to love history and she you know um i, I you know i love to recount when i was seven years old i went to san francisco to go see the tutankhamen exhibit and i think i was hooked from day one on history with my mother and and seeing the artifacts, you know, and that just meant so much to me and that I just held on to that. I think that that understanding history through seeing, you know, the physical objects of history. And, you know, I think that's that's what's most important to me out here for my job 
not, you know, personally, I just, like you say, I love the view, I love the people, but when it comes to my focus on the job and having the job out here, the preservation of this lighthouse is number one. And that's because it is the artifact. It is the thing that tells the story. Without the lighthouse, it's very difficult to tell the story out here. And that experience of, of walking into the lighthouse and seeing the shutters, the, the storm shutters open, you know, and close and rattle in the wind and all of that experience as you go through the lighthouse is knowing the lighthouse. And so that's, you know, that's probably my number one important, you know, that I, I want that I think is most important out here for me is that preservation so that when people come into the lighthouse and experience it, they walk away with a true understanding of what being at a lighthouse is. Well, I think you've you've touched on so many important things, you know, the the history, the people and the preservation. I mean, those are the probably the key things. And uh, so, uh, Jeanette and Kristen, I, I thank you so much. This is all great. Uh, we could talk, I'm sure, for hours, but I know you have to start work working pretty soon. Uh, uh, the, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is fantastic. You have, again, one of the most beautiful lighthouses in the country, and I commend you for all you do to to bring its beauty and its history to the, the public, uh, because without people like you, uh, it would just be a, an old building <laughs> that nobody could could see and wouldn't be kept up the way it is. So you do a fantastic job there. I really hope to get back out there sometime. I wish you all the best with the 150th anniversary celebrations this year. That's all very exciting. Uh, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking again, but thank you so much for your time today, Kristen and Jeanette. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jeremy. Oh, thank, you. thank you. Thank you for bringing this to everybody and uh, um, letting everybody come out who can't physically visit uh, by uh, your podcast and and hearing the stories personally through uh, the podcast. We really appreciate that. And, um, you know, just uh, if you're interested in Point Firmin and want to learn more, you know, um, we're trying to get more and more stuff out there. Uh, our Lighthouse Society has a web page and that's uh, the initials Point Furman Lighthouse Society. So pflhs.org. So I'll give them a plug. So go on there. And they have lots of great pictures of our volunteers doing events and stuff out here, as well as beautiful pictures of the lighthouse. We're going to be up and running a new city website soon, too, that will have a bunch of information and pictures on it. And then uh, we have an Instagram account. So if you're on, into Instagram, we're trying to post pictures uh, as much as we can. And Jeanette was amazing because I don't think I could have set it up on my, my own. Jeanette is the one who helped us get the Instagram up and running and get it started. So she really helped us out. And she every time I have a question, I'm like, Jeanette, how do I post that again? So she's always right there helping me. Um, or what does that mean? <laughs> so She's always getting me through the uh, process. So, um, but it's fun. The Instagram page is fun. It gets lots of pictures. If you want to have an update of what we look like on any given day, you know, you can see what's going on. In fact, I just took some nice pictures out there this morning this with all morning. the wind. So I'm going to yeah. post a few things, I think, uh, this afternoon, if I can get the uh, internet to cooperate or the uh, connection to cooperate. So, you know, visit us on Instagram. I think it's just a uh, point from a lighthouse. Point right? from a lighthouse, one, one all, word. All yeah. spelled out, one yeah. word. Point from yeah. a lighthouse, all spelled out, one word. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the website and the social media. That's important. So uh, thank you for mentioning that. And again, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you. As Kristen said in the interview, you can learn more about the Point Furman Lighthouse Society at pflhs.org. There's information on volunteering and membership and also an excellent video about the lighthouse. Point Furman really is one of the most beautiful lighthouse buildings in the country in a very attractive city park. I hope I can get back there sometime. Thanks again to Kristen and Jeanette for today's interview. So uh, here we are in mid-February, believe it or not, 
Uh, spring will be here before you know it. Uh, Cindy, do you have a quote about spring? I do. The Indian writer Anita Krizan once wrote, quote, Spring will come and so will happiness. Hold on. Life will get warmer, unquote. Hmm. Good one. <laughs> uh, the Groundhog saw a shadow on Groundhog mm-hmm. Day uh, recently, so I guess we have uh, less than six weeks until spring, which is good news. Uh, so, Cindy, there's an event coming up I want to tell people about. Please help me out. Sure. The U.S. Lighthouse Society will be doing a live virtual event on Saturday, February 17th. The event will feature a presentation by Dave Waller, the owner of Graves Lighthouse in Massachusetts, and also Kim DiVincenzo, who is working on a documentary film about Graves Light. She will be showing a short teaser for the documentary. The event will be at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on February 17th. It's free, but you need to register in advance to attend. You can get more info at uslhs.org. Yep, just go to the front page of the website and look under events. I'll be hosting the event. I've known Dave Waller for several years. He's been on this podcast twice, and I can't say enough good things about the work he's done at Graveslight. It's absolutely amazing. It's going to be a fun event. Any parting words, Cindy? Well, yes. I'd just like to say happy Valentine's Day to our devoted, lighthearted listeners who clearly have lighthouses in their hearts. Oh, isn't that nice? <laughs> I like that. It's cheesy, but I like it. A little cheesy on Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah. That's Why a, not? That's allowed. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. So we'll be back with a new episode next week. For now, to all our regular listeners and our new ones, thanks so much for listening and... Keep a good light. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine Let it shine, let it shine